On Sunday mornings, Pastor Brian and I are preaching through the great chapters of the New Testament that teach us the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're calling this series, Jesus Christ, the Glory of God Revealed. And today we come to John's Gospel, chapter 1. So I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and find John, chapter 1. Today we'll look at verses 1 through 14 as we think about this subject, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. During the Christmas season, we sing beautiful carols, and one which we sing is, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconcile. And then in the second verse, we sing of the Lord Jesus Christ, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. So today we want to think about the Lord Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. Now, I want to just give you the essence of the sermon in one simple declarative statement. If you miss anything else, get this. With the coming of Jesus into the world, God the Son became fully man while remaining fully God. God the Son enters into the world. His deity is not diminished, but he becomes human, fully man, while remaining fully God. The Lord Jesus Christ is as much God as if he were not man. He is as much man as if he were not God. He is fully God and fully man. He is the God-man. Once there was a time when God the Son was not human. Now God the Son is both human and divine. And in the throne room in heaven, there is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see him someday. Now, for all eternity, God the Son is human, is God, and always will be in eternity future. John chapter 1 is one of the great chapters in the Bible. It introduces us to the God-man. Uh, we pick up in verse 1, John chapter 1, verse 1. This is from the inspired pen of the Apostle John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and the and. Th he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If the first chapter of John's Gospel is one of the great chapters in all of the Word of God, and it is, then verse 14 is one of the great verses in all of the Word of God. Let's look at it one more time. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. As we think this morning about Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, I want you to consider, first of all, the identity of the Word. We find this in verses 1 through 5. Let's think about the identity of the Word. We read in verses 1 and 2 that the Word is eternal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. The Word is eternal. He, he has no beginning. Now, when uh, Matthew introduced his gospel, he went all the way back to Abraham and traced the lineage of Jesus to Abraham. When Luke introduced his gospel, he went all the way back to Adam and traced the lineage of Jesus to Adam. When Mark began his gospel, he went all the way uh, to the ministry of John the Baptist. But when John the Apostle begins his gospel, he traces it all the way back in eternity past. So the first thing I want you to see under the identity of the word is that the word is eternal. The Son was in the beginning. He is without beginning. There is no time when He did not exist. When other things began, He simply was. And as far back in eternity past as you and I might seek to go, there we will meet God the Son. He has no beginning. He is eternal. But I want you to see not only is he eternal, but I want you to see in verse 1 that God the Son is personal. Look again in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God the Son is personal. He dwelt in eternity past in harmony and equality with God the Father and God the Son. This relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit tells us of personality. And when we read here this, this phrase, uh, the word was with God, literally it means face to face, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. In ancient times, when uh, rulers would meet to have conversations or negotiate treaties or whatever the case may be, if one of those rulers was taller and the other was shorter, 
the person who was hosting the meeting would have the shorter person sit on a pillow so that when those two leaders would speak to each other, they would speak face to face. Now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are personal and they are co-equal. And this expresses the equality of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So we're talking about the identity of this word that John speaks of here. We've seen that he is eternal. He is personal. But I also want you to see in verse 1 that this word is divine. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Now watch these last four words. And the word was God. The word was God the Son, divine. Now, during the days of his earthly ministry, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Do you want to know what God is like? Look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John's gospel is, is built around seven miracles. We call them signs. And every one of those uh, signs or miracles point to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that this, this Galilean, this carpenter from Nazareth is no mere teacher, but he is God the Son in human flesh. And so when he began his, his public ministry uh, at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, performing that miracle, and then all the sick, other six signs that are recorded for us in John's gospel, all of those signs pointed to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that God the Son, he is eternal, he is personal, he is divine. Next I want you to see in verse 3 that he is creator. We read in verse 3, through him, that is through the word of God, God the Son, all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So wherever you go in all the universe... Sun, moon, stars, planets, wherever you go in all of this wide world, any continent, any country you go to, whether you're looking at the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, whatever you're looking at, it all has its origin in the creative handiwork of God the Son. Look at it again. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made made. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he wrote to the Colossians. Pastor Brian mentioned this last Sunday. Paul said, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. God made everything that exists and he made it for himself, for his glory. Now that puts the lie, the erroneous theory of evolution. John Phillips said this about the Lord Jesus' creativity. He, Jesus, walked a hedgerow and plucked a blade of, blade of grass. He had created it. He knew about its structure, about photosynthesis, about the mystery of a plant's pollination and germination and all of its complex chemistry. He walked beside the Sea of Galilee. 
He knew the topography of the lake. Every deep and shallow place, every pebble on the bottom, each and every fish darting through its waves. The world was made by him. He knew all about astronomy and chemistry, physics and biology, mathematics and science. He knew every law now known to science. Now watch this. And every law not known to science. Not because he had studied them, but because he was the author of them all. He, the Son of God, looked at the world through the eyes of a man, but somehow in the mystery of his being, he had infinite understanding of all things. And why should he not? For he made all things. Hallelujah. We're talking about God the Son. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal, personal, divine, creator. But next I want you to see with me in in the first part of verse 4 that God the Son is the life giver. We read in the first part of verse 4, in him was life. Now we've just seen that all created life had its origin in God. There is no physical life apart from the order uh, which Christ has created. The Apostle Paul preaching at the Areopagus in Athens, recorded for us in Acts chapter 17, said of the Lord Jesus Christ, in him we live and move and have our being. He holds all things together. He is life to us. And in John's Gospel chapter 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Do you have the fullness of life? Do you? Do you know this, Jesus? Are you trusting him? Have you experienced the joy that he gives to those who put their faith and trust in him? But not just a full and abundant life now, but Jesus offers eternal life. When Jesus' friend Lazarus died, and Jesus came to Bethany to raise him from the dead, And Jesus spoke those words that are so precious to the sons and daughters of God. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live and will never die. This is our hope. These old broken down, worn out bodies be raised from the grave. And we will live with our Savior forever. He is a life giver. Don't let the thief steal and kill you. Come to Jesus, embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will give you his life. Not only is the Lord Jesus eternal and personal and divine and creator and life giver. I want you to see in the latter part of verse 4 and the first part of verse 5, he is the light bearer. In him was life and the light, excuse me, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus is light. Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. 
This world was plunged into darkness when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. We live in a broken, fallen world. Now, where the gospel goes, there goes light. And some of you have been in some of those parts of the world where there are false religions which dominate. There's so much spiritual darkness there. You can, you, you can almost cut it with a knife. We have so much gospel here, and yet people turn away from it. But if the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is in the lives of the sons and daughters of God, for Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. If this light is taken away, this world, this country would be, incre would be increasingly darker than it is. And so Jesus is the light of men. And his light shines in the darkness, pointing us to heaven and holiness. But if you look again in verse 5, you'll see, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus spoke to this in John's Gospel, chapter 3. Find chapter 3, verses 19, 20, and 21. There we read that Jesus said, this is the verdict, light, that's Jesus. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And so the reason that men and women refuse to come to the Lord Jesus Christ is because they love their sin. They want to dwell in the darkness. Jesus exposes sin. He is the sinless one, tempted in every way, just as you and I have been tempted, yet without sin. And so Jesus is the light bearer and those who come to him through repentance and faith walk in the light and so we we learn something of the identity here in these first five verses of uh of of the word god the son eternal personal divine creator life giver uh light bearer that's who god the son is Second, I want you to consider with me the introduction of the word into the world. There was a, a forerunner who came to introduce God the Son into the world. We read about it in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Look in verse 6, John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. John is the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not John the Apostle, this is John the Baptizer. And he had a unique ministry to go before the Lord Jesus Christ and announce that the Messiah had come. This was the ministry of John the Baptist. Now look in verse 7. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. 
What was John the Baptist's mission? To point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, my friend Timothy George had in his office uh, when he was dean of the Beeson Divinity School a painting, a replication of a painting. He said it was his all-time favorite painting. And it was uh, Jesus nailed to the cross and just off to the side was a was John the Baptist pointing a, bon, a bony finger at Jesus, pointing to Christ, the Messiah. That was the ministry of John the Baptist, to appoint sinners to the Savior. He was sent from God. And look again in verse 7. His purpose was, look at it again in verse 7, so that through him, that is through Jesus Christ, all men might believe. John pointed and said, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior. Put your faith and trust in him and you will be saved. John was the one who introduced. Now verses 8 and 9, we learned that John was not the light. He was just simply the witness to the light. Look again in verse 8 and 9. He himself was not the light. He came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. How did John the Baptist do this? We read in John chapter 1, look in verse 29, 30, and 31. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is that sacrificial lamb, that ultimate sacrificial lamb who shed his blood on Calvary's cross that all who trust in him might be forgiven of their sins and reconciled to God. And John says, look, this is the Lamb of God. And uh, verse 30, this is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me, that's Jesus, has surpassed me. That's John because he was before me. <laughs> uh, in space and time, John was born into this world about six months before Jesus. But John knew that Jesus was eternal. God the Son was eternal. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And John understood his mission. Look in chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 27 through 30. John had been preaching in repentance and baptizing those who repented and Jesus came and he was baptizing and some people tried to create a little stir between the two and uh, this is how John replied, John three twenty seven and following. A man can only receive what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, that is I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. It is now complete. And this extraordinary statement in verse 30, he, Jesus, must become greater and I, John, must become less. John knew his mission was to point his generation to Jesus as the Christ the Son of God. And so John is the one who introduces the word to those first century Jewish people. 
Third, I want you to think with me about the incarnation of the word. We go down to verse 14. We'll come back and pick up verses 10 through 13. The incarnation of the word, verse 14. And the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. He lived for a while among us for 33 years. God the Son took on flesh and lived among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I've already said to you, this is one of the most important verses in the Bible. This verse puts the lie, the heresies of Unitarians and Jehovah's Witnesses and other false religions. So, there's a word that it's not found in the Bible, but theologians use it, and we know it here at Lakeview because I've used it in the past. It's the word incarnation. We're looking, thinking about the incarnation of the Word. The Word became flesh. God the Son became man. I mentioned it earlier in the sermon. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hell the incarnate deity. God in human flesh. Uh, we, we know that word carnivorous. It's a, an animal that eats meat. Most humans are carnivorous, aren't they? Just give me a hot dog or a hamburger or a good steak. We know that word. We talk about chili con carne. You can have chili without carne and you can have chili with carne. I like a little carne in my chili. Hey, by the way, I'm no longer vegan. I'm not going to pursue that. Whenever we go to East Africa, we usually fly in and out of Nairobi, Kenya. Been going there for 30 years now. John West took us the first time and many other times. And when the mission is over and we come back from the bush, get cleaned up before we fly out late at night to make our way back to the U.S. We always go by a special restaurant right there on the, on the edge of Nairobi. It's called the Carnivore. Yep, you got it. It's an all-meat restaurant. If you don't eat meat, you don't want to go to Carnivore. So as you come in, there are these massive fire pits and they're skewers of all kind of meat. What we eat here, chicken, beef, and pork. What we don't eat here, giraffe, ostrich, crocodile, wildebeest, zebra, the carnivore. And you sit down, they bring you a little punch to eat and a potato about this big. And then they come they just come with a big skewer of beef and they just slice it off and a minute later somebody comes up, would you like some pork and they slice it off and would you like some zebra and they slice it off and you like some giraffe, they slice it off and they'll, they'll feed you meat till you can't think you can hold any more meat ever again in your life. It is the carnivore, it is the flesh restaurant. Now Jesus was 
real flesh. He was no phantom. He's as much flesh as you and our flesh. How can this be? Well, the answer is found for us in early chapters of Matthew and the early chapters of Luke. Spirit of God came to a young maiden named Mary and said, uh, you can be great with child. You know, the first person to question the virgin birth was the virgin herself. She said, how can this be since I don't know a man? And the angel said, you will be great with child through the supernatural conception of the Holy Spirit of God. And so Jesus, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man. The Athanasian Creed says it like this, quote, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, perfect God and perfect man, who although he be God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ. And we read in John, John 1, 14, uh, that this word who became flesh made his dwelling among us in the Old Testament as the Israelites were traveling. Uh, they, they, God would manifest his glory in the tabernacle and then eventually Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem and the manifest glory of God would come into the temple. But now the manifest glory of God is found in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, uh, John said here, we have seen his glory during the 33 years of his earthly life and ministry. The glory of God was revealed in the face of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. J.B. Phillips, British New Testament scholar, noted for his translation of the New Testament, tried to clarify this on a scale to help us understand it. In uh, J.B. Phillips telling, a senior angel was showing a very young angel the splendors of all the universe. They viewed all the galaxies and the suns. They went from galaxy to galaxy. As J.B. Phillips tells it, as the two of them drew near to the star which we call our sun and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel whose mind was filled with the size and glory of all he had seen. The senior angel pointed at this small planet and said, I want you to see this one particularly. The little angel said, well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me. What's special about that one? To which the senior angel said to the young angel, that is the visited planet. Do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Said the young angel. Why should he do that? Lewis, I mean, Philip said the little angel's face was wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? And the senior angel said, I do. 
And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to be like him. And indeed he did. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and full of truth. When you and I look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we see God's holiness, that's his truth, which is unchangeable and immutable. But we also see his grace, his goodness, his kindness, his forgiveness, his mercy to those who repent. He is both grace and truth. He's not one or the other. He is both grace and truth. This is the incarnation of the word. And fourth and finally in verses 10 through 13, I want you to see with me the invitation of the word. For there is in these verses an invitation to all of us who do not yet know him to receive him and to believe in him. Look in verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. For the most part, the people of Israel did not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. They were looking for a political Messiah. The majority of them, the vast majority of them, did not embrace Jesus as their Messiah. Verse 11. He came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Most rejected him, but some did receive him and followed him. Uh, The 12 apostles, minus the betrayer Judas, followed him. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, blind Bartimaeus. Uh, Others we read about in the gospel records who chose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed that he was the Christ, the son of the living God, and they enlisted in his mission trusting him as their Lord and Savior. In a a similar way, that's how we become the sons and daughters of God. Verse 12, all who received him, who believed in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. One of the great lies of our generation is that every man, every woman is a child of God. God is the father of all and Jesus is the savior of all. We are all in the family. No, no, no. Jesus said to some religious leaders, it's listed for us in chapter 8 of John, you are of your father the devil. Now who did he say that to? Some very moral and religious people. Some of the best people of of that day, religiously and morally. You see, if God is not your father through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then automatically the devil is your father. 
And so God becomes our father when we repent of our sins and we put our trust in the finished, atoning, substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And we must receive him and someone else can't do that for us. Look again in verse 12, uh, uh, verse 13, to, to children born not of natural descent. You can't say, well, my, my daddy and my mama were Christians. That makes me a Christian. No, no it doesn't. Uh, uh, look on, nor a human decision. If I could decide for you, I would decide for you today, but I can't. If I could decide for you to trust Jesus, I would do that, but that's impossible. It's, it's, it's not my decision. It's your response to the call of God in Jesus Christ. Only those who are born of God. And you see... Uh, there was a there was a man named Nicodemus. He, he was a he was a leader of the Jewish people, of the religious leaders. He was a Pharisee. He was Israel's leader, and he came to Jesus one night, and he said, "Rabbi, I know you're a teacher sent from God, for no one can do the miracles that you were doing except God be with him." And Jesus said. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Now, if this very religious, moral man, Nicodemus, could not see the kingdom of God apart from new birth, what makes you and I think we can be a part of the kingdom of God apart from the supernatural regenerating power of the Spirit of God transforming us from spiritual death to spiritual life when we receive Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I, I'm persuaded in this assembly of people that most of us are in the family of faith. Most of us have been born of the Spirit. Most of us have a, a relationship with Christ. But I'm also persuaded in an assembly of this many people, there's some here today who have yet to cross that threshold from death to life. And I have some good news for you. You don't have to remain in darkness. You don't have to continue as a child of the devil. You can be saved. You can experience the forgiveness of sins. You, you, you can know this Jesus in a personal saving way. As many as receive him who believe in his name. That means you receive him for who he is, not who you want him to be, not your idea of Jesus, but who the New Testament says Jesus is. Not, not some domesticated Jesus made over in the image of our culture, but the Jesus of the New Testament. And if we receive him, if we believe in his work on the cross, he will make us his son or daughter. And on this Independence Day, 2021, I want to say, I want to announce to those of you who are in bondage to the enemy, their own lust and fleshly passions, the liberator has come. His name is Jesus. And you can be set free and experience the peace of God that transcends all human understanding. 
God, our Father, I pray that it be true today in the life of those in this room who do not know Jesus that this very day, somebody, several somebodies might embrace the Savior for their eternal welfare and for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.